What's up, everybody? Thank you so very much for joining me uh, on this episode of the Hardcore Leadership Podcast. I'm uber, uber, super excited. It's going to be a great show. I hope that whatever you're doing, you're having a great day, a great week, a great month, a a great evening, just whatever you're doing. I just hope it's great. I hope it's incredible. Even if you're not having such a great day, a great night, you know, it, it, it will get better. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. I'm excited because the uh, the person, the guest we have with us today is, is an incredible uh, individual. Been knowing her uh, since way back in the 90s when we didn't have uh, cell phones. Where we had those block cell phones where you just had incoming call. It didn't even show you call ID or nothing. It just said incoming call uh, back in the days when VCRs were popular and you were going to blockbusters on Friday night getting your movie way back in the 90s that don't make a sound oh well that just make a sound refined uh, her name is Jennifer Phillips she's just wrote a new book and it's called Perfect in All His Ways Jennifer is an author she's a philanthropist she's a business leader she's a mentor And Jennifer's life purpose is to empower others through the transparency of her life's lessons and to bring hope uh, to the wounded and those who are searching for wholeness. She fervently seeks to encourage men and women around the world to make peace, peace with their past, try to say that three times fast, and find the lessons in the pain and intensify or rather intently pursue their purpose. As a resident of Dallas, she is currently on the board of directors for the National Black MBA Associations, the Dallas-Fort Worth chapter. Uh, Jennifer holds a Bachelor's of Science in Business Technical Management and a Master's of Business Administration in Management and, uh, you know, I'm just so honored I couldn't even get it all out straight. Will you help me welcome Jennifer Phillips? Thanks so much, Ian, for being yes. on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's my honor to have you. Jennifer, uh, Jen, you just wrote this book, Perfect in All Its Ways, Accepting the Crown of Beauty for Ashes. Now, just skimming through the book, you talk about um, being transparent and giving an open reflection, an honest reflection of uh, some very toxic relationships you've had, some some things that we would call generational curses. You talk about some um, toxic uh, encounters you've had in your life. Uh, it's an incredible read, and, it, and it's meant to bring healing to the reader. Uh, I, I guess one of the biggest things is, is, is what made you want to go from uh, having that stuff uh, in you, on you, being affected, and now putting pen to paper, why did you uh, want to write this book? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I actually came to a point where I was stuck, right? And I wanted so many things, and there were so many places I was trying to go, and I couldn't go because I was stuck. I was frustrated with my current relationships. I was frustrated with my job, and I had to be honest with myself and realize that I was the common denominator. And so I knew there was a reason why God wasn't letting me move, and it wasn't because he didn't love me. It was because he wanted me to do the work. So I did the work, and part of the work was to use my story to inspire and bless and heal someone else through this book. So, you know, in in talking about um, going through toxic relationships, many people um, 
only associate that with a romantic relationship or intimate relationship. But in this book, you talk about it um, from uh, friendships as well as toxic uh, family members. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why did you find it so important to, to talk about it beyond just the norm? Because I mean, you could you could have stuck with just regular relationships. I could have, uh, and not dug into that part. Well, because I, when I first started this book, my biggest struggle was going from being a private person to being a transparent person. And you know, in in our culture, you know, families are very private. But in part of me doing the work, what I discovered was, you know, things that I refused to talk about or things that I refused to deal with, it was part of my roots and my roots are my family. And although that's uncomfortable and it's, you know, not common at all, I had to be honest with myself and say, hey, we need to talk about this. Like we need to understand how my current relationships are affected by things that I didn't deal with from my past, which included my family. You know, uh, you you talk about in this book um, going back to those those toxic um, relationships you've had uh, intimately. You say that um, that you would sometimes pass over the good guy mm-hmm. for the other guy, and 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 really the good guy felt foreign to you, mm-hmm. and the bad boy, so to speak. You you were more attracted to that. Why, why do you feel like that was the case? Because there, there are some uh, women and maybe some men listening who are uh, attracted to, to the bad girl, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they feel like, well, uh, why do I always pick this person? It, it, there has to be something in you that sees something in that person and okay. says um, that, that speaks to me somewhere. Right. Well, there are multiple answers to that question, and I'll just give you a couple. The first is, as a teenager, you know, I experienced just quite a few troublesome relationships with, with my family. And as a teenager, that's the most embarrassing and vulnerable moment for you. And so rather than me talk about it, I was more comfortable dealing with what I'll call the bad guys because they were obviously dysfunctional too. So when I was with those guys, my dysfunction was normal. So I didn't feel like I had to hide anything because we could relate. And the good guys, meaning the guys who you know came from a two-parent home, were going to school, going to work, going to sports... I felt like what I was hiding, if they found out about it, that they would see me as less than. So it was just easier for me to deal with someone else dysfunctional, just as dysfunctional as I am. So if I'm I'm hearing you right, you chose the bad guy because their dysfunction uh, matched up with yours in some ways. Yes, and also because... The bad guys, they, they, they sought me out, right? And they were persistent. And it's not always because they can relate to you, but if you're in a dark room and you see a light to the far left or far right corner, you're going to gravitate towards the light. So what I always would think in my mind, they're gravitating to me because I'm dysfunctional too. But they saw something in me that I should have been releasing to them, and that was the light. 
but I fell on the other side. I end so, up going to the dark side. So it was it was easier. Absolutely. It's, and, and you may be listening, and you may be feeling like, why do I keep picking the wrong person? It may be because you're taking the easy road out. Absolutely. Versus doing the work it takes uh, to fix you, whether that be through counseling or Absolutely. whether that be through uh, just reevaluating your life choices. It could be that you're going at it too easily. And yes. that's the reason why you're not really finding uh, the right person in your life is Absolutely. because the right person requires more work. That's right. And if you're not willing to do the work, you're going to always get this person who is bad for you because they're only going to feed that dysfunctional part. They're not going to feed the whole person. Am I saying it okay? That's absolutely right. Because as a person who has done the work, you don't want to match yourself up with somebody who has not done the work. So you can be a dysfunctional person and want all these great things, you know, someone that's financially stable, that's mentally stable. But that person that's stable in all those areas, do you really think that person wants a dysfunctional person? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. So I had to do the work. Okay, so let me ask you this. At, at what point uh, did you realize you were in a dysfunctional relationship? Or did, did you know it from the onset? Because that's another issue. If you, you know, right. I mean, we, though, though we just basically said it, mm-hmm. that, that you picked the wrong person. Mm-hmm. But in, initially, though, you probably thought this is the right person. Well, initially, what I would think in my dysfunctional state was, yes, this person is dysfunctional, but I can help fix them. You can help fix them. Mm-hmm. And here's, you brought me something else, too. That's a major thing that a lot of women deal with. Now, yes, some of my brothers, we may deal with it sometimes, but so many women think they can fix a man. Yep. yep. Before I give you my male point of view, why? <laughs> well, because when you get to that point, because you don't start off saying, I can fix him, right? There's something physically attractive there that that attracts the both of you to each other. And then when you get in the crux of that thing, you start to get feelings, right? And then you have to talk yourself into why it's okay. And then you'll say, okay, well, he curses, but I could take him to church and he'll fix that. Or, oh, he drinks too much, but, you know, I could take him around my family and friends who kind of guide him and we can change that. So initially it's... It's attraction, and when you find your feelings too far gone where you feel like you can't rein them back in, that's when you start going going through your uh, con- going through your construction phases, right? You, you, I really think that it is the nurturer mm-hmm. in the woman Absolutely. that makes her feel like, you know, I see him, and you know, though it is those little things, you you say, okay, well, I'll let this slide. There's something in you that says, um, I know how to, I know how to fix him because, you know, um, let me take care of him. Mm-hmm. He hadn't had a woman like me, mm-hmm. or I'm different, mm-hmm. and and I think that's while that's good, that's also a bad trait because. From a man's point of view, you can't fix anybody who is not willing to be fixed. That's right. That's right. You have to come in. What I had to find out the hard way is you have to come in as a help. 
you can't come in as the person leading the project. The man or the person has to lead that project, and I would come in trying to start the project. Yeah. You can't start the project. Now, I do believe that's a great quality because any woman with a good man, I mean, they can go to endless levels of whatever they want to aspire to. But with the wrong man, it's it's like you're running in circles for the rest well, of your life. And, and you know... There are a lot of women, I'm not, I can't generalize it, who have the need to be needed. Mm-hmm. And so that's a fulfillment. Absolutely. And there's a lot of men who want to be wanted. Mm-hmm. That's, that's innately, we want to be wanted. Right. But it's a lot of men who want to be taken care of, too. They, yes. they appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Here's why, A, because you end up, taking care of us like our mothers who are our best take caretakers and for the most part and and b um you know especially for uh, a, a black man you know you feel like everybody else against me you know mm-hmm. i got this one person that's for me right. and while that that may be cute for a baby that's that's terrible for an adult man absolutely uh because again if he does not want to be fixed you cannot fix anybody who does not want to be fixed and who has not admitted that he is broken. And he has to sit in the driver. Well, he or she, they have to sit in the driver's seat of change. Absolutely. You, you cannot drive that. You, Absolutely. You can be a passenger and a cheerleader and all those things, but the driver's seat is not your position. You know, I, I've often said, and I mean, I'm not like, I'm just no Stradamus that I've come up with, or not no, I'm not this great philan- uh, philosophical person that I've come up with this, but mm-hmm. you cannot allow someone else to be your happy meter. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. You cannot do it. That is too much weight. That's too much pressure on somebody else to be your your barometer of happiness. Absolutely. Because who's to say tomorrow I do something that's slightly off? from what makes you quote-unquote happy, mm-hmm. then or I walk away or I die. So you'll never be happy again in your life. You have to find happiness within you. You have to find wholeness within yourself. You cannot depend on somebody else outside of your body mm-hmm. to make you happy in this life because that is too much weight and too much pressure to put well, on another person. Here's the here's an even bigger problem there. You know, we are all sinners. We will all fall short. So I can't even depend on Jennifer to be happy. I have to depend on something a little bit more solid, and that's God. Absolutely. If if we don't put our happiness and our hope into God, who is unchanging, unwavering, never has a bad day, never calling sick, then you are basically leaning on a box that's always going to fall. That's absolutely the truth. That's absolutely true. I mean, we can do nothing without without God, mm-hmm. uh, but you can do even less it depended on somebody else. Exactly. And, and that's, exactly. that's even worse yes. is when you try to depend on somebody else mm-hmm. uh, to make you happy. I think that's very, very dangerous, and it leads to uh, a toxicity yep. in, in your relationship. Uh, and that's that's your relatives, that's your, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, whoever that is. Yes. If you are depending on them for your life happiness, 
you are setting yourself up for failure. And them as well. And them as well, because, I mean, that's a lot of weight to carry. Because, oh, my God, uh, you didn't say bless you when I sneeze. I can't mm-hmm. believe you. I'm just not happy. In I mean, come on. <laughs> come on, dog. Maybe I didn't hear you. Come on. Maybe I was thinking about something. Else. I missed it. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, you know. The uh, you sit on the board of directors for the National Black NBA Association, uh, the Dallas Fort Worth chapter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really sound like you've really been affected in your career um, <laughs> by these types of relationships, or or am I just reading titles? You know, it looks great on on paper. You know, I have to agree with you there. But the truth is, absolutely, I've had many corporate failures because of my uh, failure to deal with my, my past, which eventually bleeded over into my personality, which bleeds over into my productiveness and in my professional career. When you go to work and you're upset about something back in your family life or so, or social life, it absolutely bleeds into your career. It, it affects your attitude, and you may be able to produce but you still have to be a person that people want to be around, that people can trust, not to pop off or snap. And when you have all these things building up inside of you, it's inevitable that it, that one day and quite a few days you will explode. And I have experienced that. Okay. Uh, before we move on to the next topic, okay, so this is the Hardcore Leadership Podcast. I'm going to just ask you, uh, three leadership questions. Okay. 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 And then we'll go on because you are a leader, and you you know you sit on a board of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a leader, what is one of your absolutes? Absolute, first and foremost, is to be dependable. Mm-hmm. You have to be, and I would even couple dependability with trustworthiness. And trust not, I can tell you something and, and you won't say anything, but trust meaning I trust that you are emotionally intelligent and you know how to manage your emotions properly. Okay, you know how to manage your emotions properly. So that's probably going to be my the answer to the next question. As a leader, uh, what's a pet peeve to you, uh, managerial or people that you lead? Failure to manage your emotions. Failure to manage emotions. Okay, so why is that so important? Because I have seen it time and time again because it takes away from everything that you do professionally. 
you you could be the top performer, but if you lose it emotionally, that all goes away. People only remember that. Yeah, I, I often tell people that whenever you get ready to address an issue, you address the facts. The emotions, the opinions, they have, they don't matter because the emotions, the opinions can be argued. Facts cannot. That's right. So that's very good. That's right. And the last thing is, as a leader, mm-hmm. what do you feel like your flaw is? My flaw is control and taking on too much. Okay. Is you have control issues. I have control issues, and I don't believe everyone can do the quality of work that I can do. Okay. And I have to learn to leverage some of that to allow people to grow. Absolutely. And sometimes, well, all the time, people have to fail to get, to get better. And I try to prevent that. Jennifer, in this book, you, uh, you touched on some really sensitive issues such as um, molestation and some, some issues that you went through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, those are some really um, serious um, issues that a lot of people nowadays are dealing with. And it's a, it's a secret that a lot of people keep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept it. What gave you the freedom what did you say in your head to say, I need to get this out? Well, first I went to, it was by accident, to be honest. I went to a spiritual advisor, also known as a life coach. And I went to her to break out of my current role at my then job because I, I wanted a change and I wanted to live in my purpose. I wanted to do something that I love, that I was created to do. And she said, whoa, 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 let's take a step, step back. Let's look at all the areas of your life and then we'll find a balance. And then so through that, she said uh, that we need to talk about my childhood. And it was just something that I said, like I was going to the store, and she was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So when so when we talked about it, and she sensed that there was still like some resentment and some unresolved issues, she wanted to dive a little deeper, and she wanted me to write a letter to those who I felt like had offended me or let me down. And when I done that, it was very freeing, and I didn't decide to write the book till probably about a year past that. And what made me decide to, you know, talk openly about it to the world in my book was because I knew there was freedom in that. And I realized how that affected all my relationships because I held that secret because I thought I had dealt with it. I I thought that I was fine with it, but I had honestly held every person I was in a relationship with responsible for that. Wow. And so I owe that to the world, not because I felt like it, but, be, but because God told me to do so. God told me to share this with the world, and I didn't want any more roadblocks. I didn't want another day in the wilderness, and I did what God told me to do. Wow. You know, um, I, I'm just reading this. I'm reading some stats. Mm-hmm. One in five women... And one in 71 men have been raped at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. One in five. Yep. Here's something else, too. In the U.S., one of three women and one in six men expected, experience rather, some form of contact 
sexual violence in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. These are staggering stats. Um, I know it was painful for you. Mm -hmm. I know it was an ordeal. You say it it was, uh, you just brought it up haphazardly. Mm -hmm. Do you think it is because you somehow justified it in your mind? Do you think that you just kind of pushed it under the rug? Mm -hmm. Why wasn't it as big of a deal or was it? I had gotten to the point where I felt like Jennifer was okay. Jennifer had went to school for many years. Jennifer had a good job. Jennifer had a home. So I was like, there couldn't be anything wrong with Jennifer because Jennifer's good, right? But when I looked back at my relationships and I began to be honest with myself and honest with God because I wanted to be better, I, I had to own up to everything. And I had to say, you know, what will cause you to act this way in a relationship? What will cause you to speak this way to, to, a, to a man? What will cause you to not trust a man? What will cause you to purposely sabotage a relationship or purposely hurt somebody? And when I kept digging and kept digging and kept digging, it was just a bunch of hurts that I never dealt with. And I was taking that out on whoever came across my path. Wow, it's um, it's it's quite incredible. It, you know, as as you're talking, I'm listening to you, but I'm I'm thinking about these stats, and it's and it's really really um, mind blowing to think about during a one year period in the USA, sixteen percent of youth ages. 16, uh, 14 to 17 will be sexually victimized. Mm -hmm. Over the course of their lifetime, 28% of the U.S. youth between 14 and 17 had been sexually victimized. Listen, um, you know, I brought that part up about the book, and you could have read the book, and you, you would have found that out, but it, maybe you're listening to, to this podcast, and, you know, maybe, maybe you... Um, have been a victim of um, a sexual molestation or sexual assault, uh, I want to encourage you to find some help, get you some help, get you some counseling, uh, talk to somebody. Don't just hold that stuff in. Uh, you need to talk to somebody. Don't let the, the past uh, bleed over into your future. Talk about it. Get you some help. Find you somebody uh, who you can trust. Uh, who you can depend on and 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 get you some help, seek you some uh, advice to some counseling to get through this. Uh, you don't have to keep silent. You don't have to uh, stay um, in that box that you're in. You can get out of it. Uh, Jennifer, your book is available Amazon, BarnesandNobles.com, and on your website, JenPhillips.co. Correct. That's J I J E N N P H I L L I P S dot C O. You got it. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk at you soon. Get you some help. Get you some healing. Until then, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.